0: Hey welcome to Life 2.0 podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, but all possible find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts, kids. It's time for an overhaul. <music> have you back with me from anywhere and everywhere around planet earth full disclosure had a little technical problem this morning uh technical difficulties as we say in the biz uh the mic wasn't plugged in that's not very technical but you would think after doing this for never mind how many years uh that i would remember that part of it but hey a little foggy in the morning you know didn't have enough java i had a couple of emails i sent out this past week with uh addresses for uh payment For the Randy Hundley book, you know, so what'll happen is we have a certain amount of books set aside that can be autographed and personalized for Christmas gifts. So people have been contacting me and I send them the information for payment or what have you and didn't get my address right, forgot the zip code. I guess my brain has a little bit of turbulent mind syndrome going on, which is not unexpected. Anyway, I'm glad to be with you. And when I was reconnecting the mic uh, just a few minutes ago and clearing my voice, you didn't need to hear that, um, I started to think about The simplicity of this little outing we have every Saturday morning together. Once again, I have no idea who's listening, where you're listening, what's going on in your life at this point in time. I'm always attempting to, as I say in the open, find the obvious, bear the absurd, you know, let's make sense out of the senseless. There's so much going on in our world, always has been, but it's on our watch this time that we got to kind of sift through this stuff. So the fact that I have a thought, there's no... I don't have any notes. I it's just, I don't have any notes. I mean, I got a lot of other stuff at my desk, but there are zero notes to do these shows. There's no script for it. So part of it is just as soon as I turn on the microphone, when I remember to plug it in, uh, things just talk, it comes out. And I think it's a like a backlog of everything that's been going on in my mind during the week. And I try to put it in some semblance of order. Sometimes it works better than other times. So that's the first part of it. So I'll have a thought about something. And... The vibration of thought becomes the vibration in my voice. So I'm articulating what I'm thinking about. Between my mouth and the, I call it like the, the, the spit kit in front of the microphone, there's a little mesh screen here so I don't pop every P. I just did it there. But this little mesh microphone kind of helps keep things clean. Between the, my mouth and that microphone, the air vibrates. And it goes into the microphone my little light jumps back and forth goes all the way down this little tube here and goes into this wire the wire when remembered to be connected into my trusty dusty 12 and a half year old dell computer that goes into the clean feed system and it's all by vibration and then it gets stored in clean feed i will pull it up here when i'm finished i'll put it in my editor i will look at the vibrational chart basically the highs and lows of my voice and what was said and balance it out make any edits i have to clean it up a little bit put the music in whatever it is and then it gets sent to you through this internet thing and it ends up in your computer or on your phone around the world i just fascinates me i mean we take it for granted it's been around for i don't know 27 28 29 30 years the internet now. But now this uh, it's just because you know, we've adapted to it. And yet I'm always amazed by it. When I was in terrestrial radio, I think it was even more prominent for me because it's not internet, basically. It is uh, AM and FM sound waves that get to where you're at. So back when I was growing up, AM was mostly the, what people listened to. And that has a certain wave pattern to it. And then the FM, of course, you know, blew that out of the water because you remember if you still listen to AM radio on occasion, you could be driving, you know, listening to AM whatever and go under an underpass or hit a wrong curve and all of a sudden you lose the signal. And FM changed all that. They figured out ways to bounce it off. So anyway, while both of these technologies are fascinating to me, uh, I, I realized that it all hangs on vibration. And I think that's a big part of what our lives are built on, how do you, you know, the old Beach Boys song, Good Vibrations. I mean, you got to be realistic with things. It's not like you stick your head in the sand and say there's no problems. I don't think that helps anybody. But I think you have to monitor the vibrational patterns in your life. At least I do. Because I can't sit here and get involved in all this shit. A, can't do anything about it. And B, eh, can't do anything about it. And I don't want it to ruin my uh, my time. So I'm always reminding myself and whenever I can, everybody else that's listening that there is a vast difference between the headlines and our lifelines. They are not the same thing. The headlines come and go every, what, 9.2 seconds, if not quicker, because of this internet thing, because we're connected to everything all the time. That doesn't mean you have to swim in it. Doesn't mean you have to understand it or know it. Doesn't mean you have to participate in it. It's just there. It will always be there. It's always been there, it always will be. Dredging up shit left and right does not mean you gotta swim in it. Look at that old story about the guy who's the skydiver. And he jumps out of the plane, and his parachute fails, and he ends up in a landfill. He gets cushioned by the blow of a landfill, which is all filled with garbage, just layers of garbage, so it it cushions his blow. And eventually, he makes his way out of the landfill, and the the guy's waiting for him on the other side. He's like, how did you survive that fall? He goes, well, the landfill, all the shit in there, cushioned my blow. So i survived that. But if I would have stayed in the landfill, it would have killed me because it's toxic. And that's how life can be sometimes if you stay in that stuff. You know, I, I, I walk up right up to the edge of hesitating to say, here's four or five headlines that I saw last week and let's talk about those. A, no, I'm not going to do that. But it's tempting. And B, not going to do it. Because as soon as I talk about that stuff, it diverts me to something that's already happened with people I'll never meet and something I can do anything about. There's no resolve there for me. And I think it's kind of an insidious thing that, sle- you know, sneaks in our lives. You end up talking about stuff you can't think about and the stuff you can't do things about, you don't talk about as much. Now I'm going to get on a roll here. The vibration's rolling a little bit, so bear with me. Um, I'll do this first. So I do these shows really early on Saturday mornings and I like it that way. This is my time with you and your time with me and that's how it is. And I've been doing this going on, f- it's just over five years, I think now, so For all of you who subscribe to this, for those of you who plunk down 20 bucks a month, which is five bucks a week, which is 66 cents a day. I sound like I work at NPR or PBS, but that's the way it works. I can't thank you enough. You know, you have a lot of choices in where you could spend $20. So the fact that you choose to support what I do here and have done that for as long as you have, uh, I've got no words for that. You know, when I was on terrestrial radio, never had to make that call out because I got paid through advertising, you know, and sometimes I had to sell it. But when I moved up the food chain, you know, they have salespeople to do that. And I just get some of that. So this is very different. Uh, I don't go out and solicit for subscribers anymore. People come and go all the time. But for those of you who are with me and have stayed with me, I appreciate it. For those of you who are listening, it again, as I've, I've said this before, it is the NPR PBS model. I'm guilty as this too, I mean, over the years I've donated to PBS, but 80% of the people who watch PBS television never donate a dime. They live off the 20% that do, and it's similar here. So if you're one of my subscribers, thank you so much. Uh, And and some people sent me notes, You know, they've been doing it a while, they're ready to move on, that's fine too. Thanks for the support in the past. And for those of you who are not paying, and you're spending 20 bucks on a pizza and it's gone four minutes, well maybe five minutes, uh, think about the uh, value. Uh, over a month's period of time. Anyway, I do this early on Saturday mornings. And I've been getting up early my whole life. It's an internal clock thing. Never once had to you know, be roused out of bed to go to school or anything. I, I think it started you know, as a kid. And I would get up on Saturday morning and I would sneak downstairs and hope the heat would kick on when it was cold out. And we had like a, a little dinette area that was in between our kitchen and our, our living room. And the dining room, which is, it's just this little area. And my dad would often pull the TV there to watch, you know, whenever we had a chance. The bigger TV was in the living room, of course. You know, the 19-foot-long Sears brand, 5,000-pound, that big console. And I can remember being up early, like it is now, uh, zero dark 30, and turning on. And the cartoons didn't start till 6. Matter of fact, nothing started until 6. The TV went off at midnight, if you recall and didn't come back on till 6 o'clock in the morning. Can you imagine that now? The TV went off. They'd play the national anthem and sign off, and you'd go to bed. And then the next morning, they'd play the national anthem, and you, they'd sign on. And those six hours did not exist at all between midnight and 6 o'clock in the morning. And so it would come back on. And, oh, and then you remember when you turned the TV on, you had to wait for it to warm up? It had a little dot in the middle. Got bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden the TV would come on. And sometimes it'd be the same. when you turn it off. It got smaller and smaller, and it was gone. So this is, you know, that's why maybe this is why I get so excited about technology. I mean, we didn't have a remote. I was the remote. I'd stand next to the TV, and my dad'd say, "Turn the channel." So how's that? How's that? And I'd get to sit down for the wake up trains channel. So. You know this technology stuff fascinates me and I guess that's probably where it comes from but being up on Saturday mornings early waiting for the cartoons to come on of course you know the classics and the Three Stooges ran early in the Saturday mornings but my thing was to either grab a couple to three slices of bologna roll them up put on a piece of white bread with mustard and eat them or even better hot dogs. If I could get my hands on Oscar Mayer hot dogs cold out of the fridge I can't tell you where it started or why but to this day I didn't do it this morning, but there are many mornings where I will go and just grab, you know, the baloney, but it's the same. I eat like I'm seven, sometimes, not all the time. And I like that. I think it's well, for me, it's important. It just keeps me a little more grounded in who I am and where I've been and what i how I grew up and all that stuff. And I'm sure we all have things we carry over from childhood that we enjoy to eat and things like that. So this early morning thing, I think, prepared me for so much. It prepared me. To work early in the morning before high school, I would go early four o'clock in the morning, mop floors at Dunkin' Donuts. It prepared me for high school, you know, getting up early and doing work, uh, my homework, because I forgot to do it the night before I was out. Who knows? Could have been. And then it prepared me all the way along. And when I started doing this work of writing and the book stuff, this turned out to be the sweet spot. When I'm in writing mode, I'll be up at 3 a.m. and I'll work till like 8. Don't leave me alone. This is where it happens. And basically it's a download process. And I just, it just comes through. So, you know, a nod again to the Randy Hundley book, the Iron Man book, Uh, people, Rick Kogan, who is a fantastic columnist for the Chicago Tribune, wrote an article last Tuesday that was just over the top about the book. And, you know, there are like levels for me of people who accept the work. When you when you spend as much time as I did on this book and Randy and I work together and pull this out, and pull it together, you know, six months every Wednesday having breakfast with the guy and then talking for two, three, four, five, six hours and taping it all and and then putting all that in the computer and then pulling it all apart. And it's like a giant puzzle, shaking the box and trying to find the pieces and hopefully they come together in a good way and then revisions and, and edits and more revisions and on and on and on and all that goes into that. Um, There's a couple, three levels that I think I have to cross those hurdles to feel comfortable with my efforts on behalf of Randy. And the first level was with his family. So the early drafts I sent in PDF form to his daughters and they both came back gushing. Now, again, this was not fully clean uh, manuscript, but the, the gist of the book was there and they just thought it was wonderful. And then the second level would come eventually once the book is published, and that would be with Cub fans. And Chicago Cub fans, you know, like many places, they're just rabid, and there's no slack. Nobody's going to look at this book as a real Cubs fan and go, oh, it's great if they don't think it is. They'll tell me it's shit if they think it's shit. So far, no shit. And I think the topper came from a guy named Greg who um, was an original bleacher bum and and did a glowing review of the book because he was there you know he's probably Greg's got to be you know i don't know he's he's older than i am i don't know how much older i'll be 65 this month so he's got to be between there and 70 i would guess and he wrote about being there and some of the the, the you know situations in the book and the memories just filled him so that's a, that's what you're looking for and then the third part was got to tell you it's like kogan a koganism so kogan is an award-winning columnist if you're not here in chicago he's great writer. He he is an old school guy and uh we've known each other a long time, but that does not mean he's gonna cut me any slack. And when the article came out, uh I I was a little bit uh verklumped, a little bit overcome. It's like wow. So he passed all three hurdles. Um and I ran the article out to Randy and I sat there and I read it to him and he, you know, then he took it, look at it, they had some pictures in there. One of the big picture on the head of the article was him in the hospital in 1970 or 71 after another knee surgery. And he was surrounded by student nurses who were all like pretending to take his temperature and stuff, and he got a big kick out of that. And he just looked at me when it was finished after a year and a half of work basically, and he said, guess we did pretty good, huh, John? Yes, sir, we did. So those are the hurdles and the pieces, but none of that happens unless I am up at three o'clock in the morning. and. When I say up, I mean I'm at it. It's amazing. It was like something else takes over. So with all that being said, this morning's that I get a sp- chance to spend time with you is an extension. I see it as an extension of getting up at, you know, zero dark thirty when I was a kid, having the baloney, having the you know the cold hot dogs, and then every now and again I'd meander down into the basement, which was a risk because goddamn haunted down there. This is where. My dad built the haunted house every year, so for me to go into the basement that was pretty well haunted anyway, and top of having a, you know, haunted castle down there that run by Dracula, my father, uh, the pool table was the perfect place to set up all the toys and stuff. I had the most elaborate um, Hot Wheels setup. You could pop with the loops and the whole thing. I'd be down there with the light on doing that. You know, everybody else is asleep. I had this thing called Thing Maker. It was like a a little machine, and it, and you could put gobbledygook stuff, I'm sure it was totally toxic, into these molds of lizards and bugs and creepy crawlers, and you'd bake them. And you'd sit there, wait, come, and you made your own toy. Don't think I ever ate any of them, but I think they got rid of that probably at some point. And of course, my sister had the Easy Bake Oven set up down there. And I just looked at, uh, a little bit before I came on the air, uh, that so, so many of the toys that I had back then, that creepy crawler thing, You know, Battleship started back in the '60s. Lightbright was a big deal. There was this other thing uh, back in the day was the Rock'em Sock'em robots. Now you needed two people to play that, um, but it was it was a pretty cool thing. And I don't know if you know this, but the robots actually had names. I mean, you got to be you know steeped in the culture of the '60s toys to to know that. But the the Red Boxer is the rollicking red rocker from Soltaris Two. He weighs in at 375 pounds, by the way. And the blue opponent, the beautiful blue bomber, Pride of Umgluck, he weighed in at 382 pounds. Now, this first came out in 1964, so I would have had it right around that time, 64, 65, 66. And it was a big friggin' deal. There's got the red bo- guy and the blue guy battling it out on this big plastic yellow boxing ring. And, of course, when one of them would get a good jaw punch in, his head would go up and you can put the head back down and start all over again. It is not lost on this reporter that the fact that they're red and blue, especially these days, you know, come on, really, right? So you got the red states fighting the blue states, both trying to knock each other's blocks off. And, unfortunately, um, sometimes you don't get to reset the head as quick as you'd like to. So it also reminds me, in the way that I look at things that – I've never seen Democrat or Republican in a headstone. So go ahead and keep trying to knock each other's blocks off. But in the end, as in the beginning, doesn't friggin' matter, does it? I have friends of mine who I'm sure are not just a 180, but a 190 for me politically. But we never talk about it, because what's the point? Why would I make that the deciding factor in a friendship with somebody? It's like you're growing up in, in, in grammar school and maybe high school, for sure. When you get to college, things change a little bit. But I have friends of mine that I grew up with I didn't know what their parents, how they voted, what the, you know how they lived. It didn't matter. We were just friends, and I think that's there's great value in that. If you're there's a certain maturity that comes being able to put aside politics, which is the least effective way to define a person, in my opinion. How you vote, really? That's how you're. That's how you determine who you spend time with. If everybody thinks like you, then you're okay. Amazing to me, and I have friends across the spectrum. But to put those things aside and have other connections and other bridges that we connect on, that's important. At least it is to me. My point in this very long rant, which probably makes zero sense to you, but makes 100% sense to me, is as I was getting ready to fire stuff up this morning, I thought, I've been preparing to be awake and hit it hard early in the morning when most people are still asleep. It's just that this is the sweet spot for me. This is where it happens. The rest of the day is a descending value point for me you know, by seven o'clock and I'm like, screw it, I'm ready for bed. But all of that aside and being said, I think that it's important because this is where my vibration lives. It lives in this this slot of time that's always been there for me between, like I said, 3 a.m. and about 7, 7.30 in the morning. And that each of us needs to find those things that up the vibration for us because life itself will knock the vibration down. If you stick in the headlines no wonder it looks like a shit show because it is a shit show it's just not your shit show so the vibrational piece in all of this is what do you do when the headlines when you've spent too much time there or they've invaded you too much for me i retreat back into music for the most part i mean i spend so much time during the week working on audio projects that when i do some print work i always have music in my ear you'd be surprised some vivaldi might crawl in there at some point You know it's not always the stuff you might think i would listen to i've learned to expand my musical platform and it all comes down to those notes and vibration and what moves you forward so you know i have the luxury of that of of having this earpiece in the minute i walk into my studio in the morning got my coffee set up i got my day starting to begin the next thing goes in is this earpiece and it allows me to instantly connect into a different vibration Most mornings, if not every morning, I start with music long before I do the show. I've listened to a couple, three songs. It's reminders to me, and you're going to hear one here in just a minute. Uh, And these are reminders to me that how you see the world determines your experience of the world. And if all you do is look through the keyhole of the headlines, you're screwed. There's so much more going on. Every now and again, I'll wander over to thegoodnewsnetwork.org. And I will look at what's going on in the world, which is the opposite of what CNN, MSNBC, and Fox all say are going on. It's the opposite. These are headlines of people. They're doing incredible, amazing, wonderful things, but you never hear about them. There's no room for that. Who wants to hear that? I want to hear that. So in the motif of vibrational things and, and uh, bringing some music to the show, as I always say, you know, there are just a handful of people that are artists who are friends of mine. Some are still with us, some are not. And my pal John Barry is out on the road as I speak, jetting off somewhere in a bus. So he's not really in a jet, he's in a big bus with Miss Robin and Brian Smith and the crew. They are on their 27th Christmas tour, 27 years of this. And I know they gear up, you know, for months to make this happen. John Barry has become Mr. Christmas. It's just the way it is. You know, his. his ability to take his faith and vibrationally channel it through this voice he's been given to people all over the country and all over the world uh, is is the highest use I think of the human voice i mean there's nothing greater than that so when john goes out and they are waiting for him across the board at these sold out concerts he walks in and he tunes that thing up he gets that vibrational tune going And people are waiting to be lifted simply by him and Miss Robin and the band singing songs. Just that simple. Think about it. With all that's going on in the world and all the technology and all the bells and whistles, when John Barry steps to a microphone, he changes people's vibration. That's a magical thing. And so I always wonder when I'm going to start playing Christmas music. So it's December 2nd. Uh, I've been avoiding it. You should see me. You know, if it comes on the radio, no, don't want to hear it. It's too early. It's too early. I don't want to hear it yet. It's 45 degrees. and There's no snow, and I don't want to hear it yet. I don't want to hear it yet. And uh, when I got up this morning, and I was looking at a couple of uh, things that were emails from last year, because I was cleaning out a bunch of stuff, um, I looked at one of the podcasts from last year. It was just about this time that I dropped the needle on the first Christmas song, which is the exact song you're going to hear now a year later. The date was just different. So for my friend John and Miss Robin and Mr. Smith who are out and the band uh, lifting people up in a time when when they need it, um, thank you for doing that. And if you get near Chicago, give me a shot. We'll have some hot dogs. Not early in the morning and cold. I'll get you to Portillo's. We'll be good to go. And for the rest of you, I hope you found some value in this rant this morning. I've been all over the map, but so what? It's my show. (laughs) And that's the way that it rolls. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Keep the faith.